Buyout Friday on Canuck Central. Satyar Shaw with Bic Nizar. We got some breaking news for you today. Some stuff happening for the Vancouver Canucks. And finally, finally. And just to be clear, Dan Riccio has not been bought out. <laughs> no, I'm just no. filling in today. Dan's going to be back on Monday. Yeah. We usually call it Mailbag Friday. And, <laughs> and rest assured, the mailbag will be here coming up in the final segment of the show at 530. We'll have a lot of fun for the mailbag. And keep getting your questions in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650 in Latner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Latner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, and online at DunbarLumber.com. And I know a lot of the reactions coming in hot and heavy on the text inbox, and we'll, we'll hit it as the show goes on here. But obviously, the big news of the day is Oliver ekman Larson has officially been bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. And we'll talk about what that entails in detail in just a few moments' time. And also coming up at 4.30, Yannick Hansen is going to join us. And we'll dig into this with our good friend as well. Fast Eddie Gregory and Ben Bastron are producing a show today. So we'll have a lot of fun, and we have a lot to discuss. And let's dive right into it here, Bick. I mean, the big question had been, how are the Canucks going to clear cap space? Mm-hmm. And we knew that it had been very difficult for them to clear cap space via trade and move guys out without having to pay a premium one way or another to do so. And that has led to them to the decision to buy out Oliver ekman Larson. Now, I think organizationally, as much as they said publicly recently they don't want to use buyouts, clearly it was always an option internally to some degree. But they also were trying to avoid having to do this. And I think, you know, in terms of why this happened... I don't know if anything else is imminent, but the Canucks are working on other things, obviously, and we'll see. But I think this is more than anything signals our best way to clear cap space without shooting ourselves in the foot in terms of losing assets on players that could give us something is to do this. And that's buy out Oliver Ekman-Larsen and get a $7 million cap savings on the book. From just a transactional point of view, this was the easiest way. This was always the easiest way. Yeah. Now, there's a financial ramification to it of $19.5 million, which is a big check to ask for. And Sat, we've been talking about this since basically the start of the season. Basically like nine games in when things were clearly going mm-hmm. wrong. We talked about, okay, at what point do you want to start playing certain cards if you're a new management regime? This was always one of the cards that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It is a big ask to say, we need $19.5 million. And you kind of have to do the stored value of, hey, let's do this thing that appeases. Let's 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 save half a million here. Let's save fifty k here. And you have to start doing all these micro transactions to say we've saved X amount of dollars, and now we can show it. And we're like, we need to play a card right now. And they played a massive one today to say we're buying out OEL, and we we asked we need a big check for it. We do, and I think I think there's a couple of things here. You're right, and we kind of detailed this last year in terms of getting the Jason Dickinson money mm-hmm. off the books and some of the other things they did and how much money that actually saved them. They spent less money last year on their roster than the cap hit indicated. Mm-hmm. Now, this season, it's significantly gone the other way. I mean, the Canucks are, even with the OEL buyout, now spending close to $100 million on this roster in pure cash and Obviously, the, the salary cap is in, what, $83.5 million, and it might change a little bit, but that's kind of where it, it kind of finds itself at. But regardless, Vancouver is able to clear that cap space. And them being able to do that right now gives them so many different opportunities. There's so many things now available for them. Now, I think everybody kind of understands the implications. Let's, mm-hmm. let's run through the cap implications of this move, Bick. First of all, let's kind of run through this. Then we'll talk about some possibilities. So it's a sizable commitment here ownership has made. It's an endorsement of this front office 
by ownership, but it's also an acknowledgement of prior mistakes made by ownership yes. that allowed this mess to be here to begin with. So I think these, that's a two-pronged, I think, bigger level thing to keep in mind here is that there's an admission here to say, hey, it was my bad previously yeah. too, and if you guys need this, I'm willing to fork over the money. Because if he wasn't willing to fork over the money or organization, they weren't willing to fork over the money, then how much true ambition do you have to rectify problems that you were a part of? Or at least we're overseeing that that happen. If you want to give a new management team a clean slate and a real chance to move forward, then you give them this opportunity. And it's a pretty big thing that ownership is doing here because it's, it's a sizable buyout. And I wasn't convinced that this would happen, but it's an endorsement of the front office and it's an acknowledgement of prior mistakes. Yes, it's give them a bit of credit uh, for ownership. But again, you wear the severe blame that comes with this. So yes okaying this initial move to put you in this bad spot. Yeah. So, yeah, kudos for handing out $19 million to, to get out of this, but you put themselves in a bad... You put this new management group in a bad spot to activate this lever to actually do it. Now, as far as the management group, the decision to do this, one thing that's really important to me here is if you actually want to direct this towards, hey, we're trying to do all these habits and all these things... The first thing you have to do is cut the rod out right. immediately. Because the longer you take to say, hey, we've built this in our vision. If this just lingered on for two, three more years, and we keep having these conversations of, well, Ronick wasn't working, and how does you, how do you make the OEL problem work? We don't have to have those conversations anymore. They just said, the rod is gone. Cut out the problem completely. Eliminate it. Yeah. And now we'll start working towards what our vision of our solution looks like. We do not have to take yesterday's plan and a previous regime's plan and meld it into ours. Yeah. We can only focus about our plan now. And, and on, yeah. like, there's a cost to that. There is. And we'll get to the cost in a second. But I think the reason you had to be willing to take that cost on, and we discussed this for anybody who's been listening to this show for the past few months and go back even uh, a bit farther than that, considering how much OEL has struggled. And we looked bigger picture and said, now that you've added Heronic to the roster, you have Quinn Hughes, you literally don't need another power play quarterback specialist, which is what OEL is. OEL is also not adept at the PK. He's also not a great shutdown defenseman. It's literally what they're missing. Mm -hmm. And if they keep him on the roster and playing in the top four, that means you can't go and get a top four defenseman that does other things for you. And how can you have a player who doesn't fit on your roster and whose best role would be to be on the third pair? If you're paying him, playing him on a third pair, making $7 million and you're sheltering him, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Like, literally, what is the point? We saw Christian Willanen be sheltered in the third pair and be fine, making $750,000. Which brings us to, if that's what, if you can replace that level of play on the third pair with a million bucks or slightly more or slightly less even with the right player, then even if you have dead money on the cap for the player, it's worth it considering the value you're getting with even the 2 and $3 million savings. So, Big, run through the cap savings this year for Vancouver, but then for the next seven years, yeah. what it's going to cost the Canucks on the books. So, this year, it will be a $146,000 charge. Yes. Which is So, you save minimal. massive amounts. $7.1 Yes. You save a large chunk. Then, the next couple of years, it starts to escalate. It's 2346 in 2024 to 2025, and then two consecutive years of 4.76. So and nearly then, $5 million. Just shy of $5 million. Yeah. And then it starts back diving, and you get four years of 2.126. Yeah. So and it takes you to 2031. So the two years that are going to be somewhat onerous are going to be the 4.75 years, which are 
two years from now, mm-hmm. or I guess, well, yeah, two years from now. And the the upshot of those two years is, in addition to what we, what, what we just mentioned, if you can replace Oliver ekman Larson and what he can do on the third pair for a million bucks, even that means the OEL value at 4.75 comes up to 5.75, mm-hmm. which means you're still saving $1.5 million in money by making that transaction and having the dead money on the book. So despite the dead money, if that's what you believe with a player, that's how much money you're sp- saving. But it also lines up with when the salary cap should be jumping significantly. So as much as 4.75 is a big hit, at least it lines up with where the salary cap is going to be upwards of $90 million or more at that stage. You mentioned ambition, right? And we always sit here and talk, and like one of the things I value is like as an organization, you can have misguided ambition, and we've seen that obviously here, but when you try to do these transactions, are you pushing towards an ambitious goal? And when you make a decision like this, I do look at it and say, if you, if, as like a management group, as professional hockey evaluators, if you can't solve the problem of how do we find a D-man that's worth $2.9 million to make up the cap hit to what he would have been paying in 2026, then you don't have good ambition. Yes. Like or, if, 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 and your evaluation skills are not good enough. Yes. Like you don't have enough trust in yourself to find a $2.9 million D-man. Mm-hmm. And they chose the harder version. Say, hey, we believe in ourselves more than we believe what we can get out of this player that we didn't decide to have. And this, to me, is a more ambitious decision to say we're doubling down on ourselves because, look, they just found Ethan Bear. They mm-hmm. they can find, to, to what you said, third-pairing D-men. And now, like the point I've always made is, are you actually serious about trying to win? Yeah. And this today, as an organization, outside of the management group, as an organization... This, to me, is an ambitious move because now they're a bit more serious about winning. It's real ambition. Now, so that's running through why this happened, how it happened, and what the implications are and why it does make sense. And we've talked about this for a long time, why you should seriously consider doing the OEL buyout. The question was, is ownership going to be willing to fork over that type of money? And I think we're all surprised that they ultimately did. And we talked about what that also entails and what that signifies in a couple of different ways. The big question is, to your point, ambition. What ambition do you have from this point forward? And one thing that I can gather from my discussions today since this happened is Vancouver is not going to just look at the cap space and and be like, hey, we Mm -hmm. got some cap space and flexibility here and we'll play the long game and see what happens. They're going to be ambitious and making the team better. And I'm not saying they're going to go out on free agency and sign somebody to a $50 million contract, but just think of it this way. But now they have the potential to do do. so. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but I'm (laughs) saying, so think of it this way. Elliot Friedman mentioned, you know, a few weeks back that, Damon Severson might might be eyeing Western Canada. Well, he's not eyeing Calgary. He's not eyeing Edmonton, given their situation. Where and we heard of Vancouver's interest in Damon Severson in the past. What is what is Severson signed for? Fifty million dollars. Fifty million bucks. So Vancouver was at least thinking about being in that market. What does that signify to you? Big game hunting. Mm-hmm. So I think they're looking to make significant additions to the team. Now, the trade route might be the best route, but I think in terms of ambition here, Bick. It's to make sizable improvements to this team, not just trim the edges and hope it gets better. It's to significantly improve it. And they're also not done trying to clear cap space in other ways. Yeah, it, it changes the whole context of what your offseason can do now. Yeah. Because before, it just felt like everything was so limited. It, two weeks ago, we had a conversation about, oh, fifth, or, uh, third line centers and what can you do? And we came up with like a top five and it yeah. was so limiting to find, okay, what can you do? And Guy making less than two million. Yeah. How, how does this fit? And 
and especially to get quality. Yeah. Now, like the spectrum of options for you completely opens up, and there's going to be we see some comments. I hope they don't recklessly spend. And look, we're going to have those conversations. But now it's like you can actually do things. You can operate like a normal NHL team yes. this offseason. You can take advantage of opportunities if they arise. Now, so Vancouver has six point four million in cap space, right? But if they go into dipped into LTIR with Tucker Pullman and um, Tanner Pearson, That's, yeah, it's up, an added five point seven. So they could have upwards of twelve million potentially in, in cap space total if they utilize all of their LTIR and if they can capture all the LTIR. So let's just say for argument's sake, they have 10 million to play with because mm-hmm. it's not easy to get all the money and, and you know not to get through nitty gritty here. But let's just say for argument's sake, they have about 10 million to play with right now. Well, that's pretty significant. Like mm-hmm. you can be in any type of market you want. You want to be in free agency. You want to be in a trade market trying to acquire players. So the question becomes, what are you willing to do and how far are you, are you willing to go? And I think it's also clear that the team didn't want to be giving up significant assets here, Bic, to get money off the books. Because if you get rid of, let's say, a prospect and a draft pick to get rid of money, well, then you don't have a prospect and a draft pick to go and get better. Yes. So now you can get the money off the books. Now you have those things to go out and get better, potentially, instead of giving them up to try to get money off the books. And the question is, though, are the Canucks going to be able to do something creative where they're actually taking advantage of their cap space here, Bic? Or are they going to be spending it? And what we've seen in the past where it hasn't worked for Vancouver is they get cap space. And instead of making like creative moves and trying to get something out of taking on money, they end up just spending a lot of money in free agency and end up saddling bad money on top mm-hmm. of the books. And it's ended up being in a vicious cycle where the team ends up being capped out a year, year in and a year out. So what would be the ideal way for them to maybe move forward here with the cap space they have? I've been pitching this idea again since December. It's like you buy out OEL, and this is still kind of the gap year, right? This is your traveling to Europe year, right? Where it's like, hey, I don't really know what I do. It's like if we if we have some success in the playoffs, cool. But we're just trying. I, I'm trying to discover who I am, right? And the Canucks are very much still discovering who they are, and it's going to be on Hughes and Pedersen to form the identity of the team long term. So they can go in any which way. Now they've shown that they want to make the types of transactions and go get a heroic type and mm-hmm. use the cap space and assets available to push this forward. But my idea has always been buy an OEL, you get the huge $7 million savings, and now this opens up the possibility if you want to be a buyer of a bad contract, because other teams are dealing in a flat cap world as well, does this open up the chance to add in a pick? And yes, you're getting charged with these massive cap hits, 4.76, and there's already people droning in the text inbox. Yeah. But this is the only way you can get a reward out of this. What if you took on a pick? That, to me, is the ideal way. What if you took on a contract for one year, someone's heading out a deal, you can take a future first. I know this year's first are heavily coveted, but you could just take on a future first and say, we'll take on a deal. We'll see if we can make it work with our structure and our habits and our new levels of professionalism, apparently. And we'll take a chance on a guy, but we want to get paid off. That conversation did not exist eight hours ago. No, it didn't. Now, and now, now it does. It does. Now, I'd still be surprised, Vic, that they end up, let's say, finding a Patrick Marlowe and getting a first-round pick out of it. I, and the reason I say I doubt but that— But I'm just saying, like, what's yes, the ideal version? No, I, I agree. And that, that's the—I understand what you're saying, that's, and I'm going to build off it here in a second. I think that's kind of the ideal version. Can you do that? I don't think that's going to happen for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not sure that's going to be available to them. Mm-hmm. And number two, it burns a lot of their cap space, despite getting an asset yes. for a player that could not help them in any sort of way. And they kind of can't afford to burn their cap space. So I think they would. I think they could be willing to do something you mentioned, but on a smaller scale. 
So a more useful player, you're maybe taking back something, maybe not a first, maybe not mm-hmm. even a second, but maybe you are getting a fourth and a fifth. Maybe you are getting a prospect thrown in for you to take somebody on potentially. That puts you in that type of position all of a sudden. And like, for instance, even like we talked about before, Carter Garland. And I think the team is still trying to make these types of deals. Instead of instead of trying to give something up to move Garland, can you move Garland for a player? Like for like contract. Yeah. The, that the, all of a sudden making five million. And I know your favorite player, for instance, that you would love to see acquired. The idea I tried pitching you two weeks ago was like Garland for a Pajot. Right. And you're just like, you're you're gonna pitch this idea or you add fifty K? Well, now it doesn't. No, like, now you can do it. Now and, it makes and you sense. can redistribute the wing money to the center money, which is kind of what you need. Because if you do that all of a sudden, right, where you're making that swap, then all of a sudden, or for instance, right, or for instance, you can even do this: you make Garland in a separate trade. The Islanders need to get m- off money. Mm-hmm. Are they willing to give you a couple mid-round picks sure. to take Pajot, for instance? And all of a sudden, he's your third-line center, and that solves your third-line center problem. Those are the types of things they can all of, a, all of a sudden consider. And also, you know how we talked about, hey, you'd love to be able to use your extra fourth-round picks and go and get the next all of your Bjorkstrand? Well, now you can, if that's what you want to do. But those are the options available to them, Vic. But the question really comes down to, what are the biggest needs for them? Like, yeah. What do they have to address? So they can do a host of different things right now. But what's the priority? What's num- what's in- now that they've cleared some cap space and they're going to try to clear more, as we mentioned, but now that they have breathing room, now that they can do certain things and they have options, what's priority number one in terms of role that needs to be filled? Now, he wasn't doing it effectively, but Oliver Ekman Larson was playing penalty-killing minutes. They don't really have a lead, out-and-out, left-handed D-man to play the penalty kill now with, yeah. with OEL gone. So that to me is priority number one. Defensive top four defenseman on the left side. There's nobody there. They don't and, have anyone. And you can mask the center. Like JT can play center on the PK. Hasn't done it well, but he there is someone there. There's it's Quinn Hughes basically. It's Quinn Hughes and it, the only other guy organizationally really is Brisebois. Yeah. And again, I I personally don't want Quinn Hughes on my number one PK. And I don't think Breezebot should be the second guy up or the first guy up yes. on the PK. There really is Oregon. Like, there is none. Like, yeah. they literally can't head into next season and expect to have the left side figured out. So that, to me, is now the number one priority this summer, is finding a left-shot D-man that is effective at the PK. Not just someone that can eat up minutes like OEL, that is effective at it. Mm-hmm. Because the other spot is... Heronic, to his credit, is versatile. And you look at some of the underlying numbers, his PK numbers, expected goals, and chances given up, they're okay. They're decent. But if, if you can get an effective left-shot PKer, that, to me, is what this opportunity has now been brought up for you. No, I'm totally there with you. And I think if those are the types of things you can do, then if you're able to address... Uh, say, the left-hand defensive need all of a sudden, and you're able to get that type of player into the team, I think it 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 all of a sudden solidifies your top four. We'll get to the other needs in a second, but I think it solves the top four in terms of who plays, who plays with who, and you get, you get a two pairings really set in, and it also fills a couple of roles. The question is, how do you address the left-hand D role? Is that guy easier to trade for, or is it easier to sign in free agency? Considering a free agency, if I'm looking at legitimate options that make your team better, there's only two. Dmitry Orlov, who's probably going to be too overpriced for mm-hmm. Vancouver, despite the fact they have some cap space. And the other one, who maybe could be in their price range, is Ryan Graves, left-hand defenseman who's 28 years old. 
but man, that is a short list to that's pretty much approach it through free agency. And the other guy whom people have been wondering about is Brian Dumoulin, who's mm-hmm. also a free agent. He's going to be 32 when next season begins. A big left-hand DPKs. There's some he's history there with obviously with the past management. He's played his entire career in Pittsburgh, but he's he's struggled. Like he's really it, struggled. It's it's declined, especially in the last 18 months. The only way. Dumoulin to me makes sense if you can get him on a one-year deal like I don't mm-hmm. care if it's a one-year deal sure, whatever yeah. yeah if you do something like that sure but I can't see him being the solution via trade it becomes hard because then you're playing you know hypotheticals here this is a guy you can go after or whatever but, but via trade now Sat it's a lot a more options are available well, I mean, for instance just just an example here right like now that you have some cap space you can address a need, a third-line center mm-hmm. or a defenseman, potentially, and get something out of it. Like, for instance, Dex mentions, how about a Marcus Pedersen uh, and a second for a fourth-round pick in future considerations type of deal? I mean, creative. Mm-hmm. I understand. And Marcus Pedersen isn't perfect. He has a couple years left on his contract at $4 million, but he's def- decent defensively. He can PK for you a little bit. And yeah, you get something out of it if you make that deal. He's probably better and more adept in the role he's being asked to play than, say, OEL was, for instance. So just as an example, and Dex texted us in, and a lot of good texts coming in here on 650-650, we appreciate it, and we'll try to get to more of them. But just to use an example to the point that Bic keeps making here, you have options mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And I would like to see them take advantage of, a, of it this way. Maybe you can't get a first. Maybe you can't you know, go out and get these great assets. But can you solve a problem and perhaps get something out of it? And then you put yourself in a position, Bic, where, hey, now you have some extra assets to play with. And maybe if you can't move Myers or Bavillier right now, guess what? They're expiring contracts at the deadline. And guys whose money is going to be paid out for. Now you have options to go out and do other things during the season with assets and expiring contracts, which are more assets for you when you're trying to make deals. The types of transactions you can do is just totally different, right? But We were literally only talking and be like, hey, can you attach an asset and Garland? Like, what's realistic? There's some things in an ideal world you'd like to do, but what's realistic is putting an asset with Connor Garland yes. or something like that and solving maybe a problem. Right. But now it's like, you just talk, it's like, hey, you can move a fourth to get someone that's trying to dump. Like, it's a normal offseason. It is. It's a normal it offseason. That's you, what's you coming do. up. Right. So the, the number one need left-hand D. The number two need, and, and honestly, it might be 1A, 1B. is third-line center. Mm-hmm. They, it's, you know, for all the talk about they don't have a lefty D who can PK, they literally don't have a forward who can PK consistently. Yes. Yeah. You know, like Miller and Pedersen can do it, but you're not going to... Again, we're trying to look at a situation where their minutes are being reduced, and you're trying to get JT to not be the be-all, end-all, yeah. and doing, doing everything. So you need a third-line center, but you need a third-line center who could not only win draws, but also play on the penalty kill. So I'd say that's number two on your list with a bullet. Yeah, like, in, in that regard, like, their, their third-line center plan has not changed. No, it hasn't. So, so think- that's probably now... Yeah, Number two, whereas prior to today, it was the need. Because the they also, the thing is that five on five, it's like they don't have a third line center right now. Oh, they don't. And at least when OEL was here, as much as he struggled, you, you still penciled him in there mm-hmm. as long as he was here until somebody usurped him as being that guy. But that's gone now, right? So all of a sudden it kind of flips. But I think there are ways to solve the third line center problem. You, you mentioned the Pajot, which is five million for five million essentially, or 5.4, I guess, for. Uh, Pajot for three years. But like, what about exploring a trade for who, a guy I like, Colton Sissons, for mm-hmm. instance, who's making 2.875 for the next few years? Maybe, hey, maybe you get something else out of it because Garland's clearly better than Sissons. Do you get a prospect as well, potentially? But they're in a spot where is Nashville like. No, for instance, again, as they an keep example, saying things. Yeah. yeah. But an example of can you solve your third line center problem by making a trade mm-hmm. with one of those guys instead? And I think that creates it. Now, the third need is another righty defenseman, 
We talked about Ethan Bear was a big topic of conversation, but all of a sudden the right-hand defenseman need, as much as, you know, you still need one, you're still penciling in Myers and Heronic mm-hmm. next year in your top four as long as Myers is here. So what type of third pair, what type of right-hand defenseman do you need considering Bear should come back after he gets signed to at some point this season? Can they be flexible? Well, this is a bit of a, a state of reprieve for uh, Tyler Myers now, eh? Well, you know what? Like, they don't have to move Myers. Like, they're not desperate to move mm-hmm. Myers now. And if anything, if you pay Myers' bonus out in September, like, he's going to be an asset for you during the season. Is that what they're playing? Because here's the thing. Like, you know, we talked about how they have to pay money to get rid of guys, for instance. So Garland, you have to pay money to get rid of. Myers, you have to pay money to get rid of. But Myers can become an asset for you in six months. Mm-hmm. Bavillier can become an asset for you in six months. So if you burn these guys and gave something away to get them, not only are you giving something away, you're also losing the potential return or flexibility of doing other things with them down the road next season with expiring deals, especially Myers being a righty defenseman with size, making only a million bucks despite having a six million cap hit. And if you retain half, five hundred thousand at the at, at the trade deadlines, he's going to be worth like what ninety grand, in old money or something, not even. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be one of those situations where he can be an asset. Bivoli can be an asset for you. So, I guess this is where it gets tough. Is do you solve your right hand D problem? the The primary solution. Does it present itself in the summer or does it present itself in February? I think you have to, that's the big question. And I do think we mentioned Severson as the yeah. interest being there. He's a big righty defenseman. So it tells you what they're after is a big long-term solution. But it's less of a need right now in the moment than the lefty because they literally don't have somebody. And I know Raymond says penciling Myers into the top four would be a disaster. It's it's the depth chart today, man. Yes. Like, today's a depth chart. Like that's where he ranks. It can change tomorrow, and and that's the point of looking at the depth chart and looking at where you got to fill things out and, and whatever. But what type of right hand defenseman do you need? I think you can be flexible in it and say, okay, if we can't go and get the long term guy like a Severson type or the guy we think is going to be top four, do we patch it over with? Hey, do we just bring Luke Shen back? Do we go and look at one of these mm-hmm. veteran righty defensemen and bring one of those guys in for one year? And you can be flexible with the role that you're looking for on the right side. But it's still, I think, the third need on this team because they clearly need one more righty defender no matter what. Yeah, but I, I, I Raymond's right. But again, it's to the point as what your roster looks like in October could be different than what it looks like in February. Yes. Because you might just replace the minutes in the cap space and say, okay, Myers is out. We have some assets. And now if we're in a certain playoff chase – now we can go bigger game hunting because now we've gotten the OEL money off our books. The Myers money is going to be off our books. What position are we in and what opportunities now present ourselves to go find a long-term solution? Because that's a lot of money that's suddenly opened up. Like Myers and OEL could be off the books by next February. Yeah. You, got, you can play in the trade market yeah. as well. And and here's the thing with when you're not giving up assets to make deals. And let's say you're able to actually get something back to take something on here. Then all of a sudden, Vic, the Canucks get to a point next year where they have a guy they picked high in the draft this year. They have Lakaramaki in the system. They have Aturatu in the system. They have some other prospects. They have some extra draft picks. They have some cap space. Guess what? Now you can go out and get somebody who is a big-time player. Now you can be in that market for somebody who can be a young righty defenseman who might be available or somebody that can fit a major need for you. You have to accumulate those assets so you can go out and make a big play. And I think using the buyout at least saves you those assets to make that bigger play for the right player when they become available. And next year's free agent class is vastly different than this one. Yes, significantly better. Whereas this one, it's... I don't recall a free agent class being this poor. No, no, I don't think so either. So wrapping up 
the needs. And so we, those are the main three, right? Mm-hmm. right? Lefty defenseman, third line center, righty defenseman. You know what they still need? A four checker with speed on right. the wing. They really do. Now, they need to fix the redundancy on wing. Yes. Now, obviously, it's down the, it's number four on the need list because those other ones are massively pressing and the Canucks have a glut of wingers, as we already know. But if you are successful, hypothetically speaking here, Bick, if they can move out, let's say in, in a perfect world, you can move out Garland for a third line center, you save your cap space. Mm hmm. And you can go out and get a defenseman, and then you have some more cap space left. You have another five or six million left potentially, right? If you look at a guy we've heard before, Barbashev, that they like, all of a sudden, if you can solve your third line center issue that way, you can get a left defenseman who can PK, who's legitimately good, and you sign a player, whether it's a Barbashev type or a Bertuzzi type on the wing, now you have a four checker with speed and size that can play the role they want for this team. You would have Mikheyev on one line, on the first line. You'd have Barbashev Bertuzzi type on the second line. And then on the third line, you'd have Bevilier. And on the fourth line, you have Dakota Joshua. All of a sudden, you have some size, speed, and forechecking on the wing for each line. If you get a third line center, now the team may look like the team Rick Tockett wants to coach. So I think the winger aspect of it is dependent on, can you still make another deal? You'd have to clear some more money for it. But I think if we're building the ideal team today, if I had to guess what the organization looks at, I think they would love to add lefty D, right D, third line center, but also that four-checking winger with speed. Maybe it's not going to be the bigger player, like, say, the Bertuzzi or Barbashev type, but I think they, they're going to be on the lookout for that type of player if they can move out one of their wingers. We mentioned the three big needs, right? Yes. In theory, if done aggressively, and you keep approaching the threading the needle aspect of what they're clearly trying to do, you could solve all three by February. You could. I don't know if all three are going to happen in the summer, but you could solve all three by February. Which would be now pretty spectacular. When, filling and solving are two different things. Yeah, anyone like, can fill needs. Yes. The question is, do they solve your problem? Yes, and that's going to be the, the 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 thing in the equation they have to get right: fill it, but also solve it. And if they can, then maybe the team will finally be onto something. They have opportunity now. They still have to do more things. Now you got to come through with some big positive moves and hopefully this team might be on the right direction if they're able to pull some more things off. We'll discuss that in a bit more. We'll take more of your text messages and thoughts as well. But Yannick Hansen is next right here on Canuck Central.